Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. So today I'm delighted to be joined by Marnie Greggs. Uh, Marnie, welcome to the show. Hi, Simon. How are you? I'm great. Yeah. Let's pretend we haven't been chatting about right, uh, right. pigs, dogs <laughs> and pugs and poodles and geckos uh, for the last 10 minutes. Um, so Marnie is uh, a, a, a mum. Now, do you call yourself an adoptive mum? Well, you've got 10, you've, you're, you're wrangling 10 kids at the moment. I think you said last time. Yes, 10, 10 right now. Um, 10 right we now. have two biological kiddos that are yeah. 18 and 20. And then we have six adopted children that range in age from six to 14. And then we currently have two foster children that are nine and uh, six months. Wow. <laughs> when you told me that when we spoke the other day, I was like, we have enough with on our plate with two dogs and two pigs. How do you cope with um, three dogs, 10 kids? How many cats have you got? Two. Two, two cats. I think the, the geckos can't be too much trouble and the tortoises can't be too much trouble. But yeah. Actually, the tortoises are a lot of work. They're, they're big. They're sulcatas, so they're, right. you know, 50 pounds each. Wow. Um, yeah, no, that, you know, I think... Everyone is used to doing what they do every day. And so I don't know any different than yeah. wrangling my brood of, of humans and pets. So, yeah. And you also work for the Grace Retreat, right? Yes. So I work for a nonprofit here in Tucson, Arizona, that uh, licenses and recruits and trains foster homes and adoptive homes in yeah. our community. Wow. And what, what better person to... Uh, to come alongside those families um, than, than you with 10 kids. Like, you, you, you know the stuff from the cold face, right? This isn't, this isn't theory. This isn't it is not. Like, no. <laughs> this it's is... not arbitrary information that I'm sharing with families. And I tell them that all the time. I'm like, who's better to support you and know what you need than someone who's doing it themselves or has done it in the past? So I think that's what makes our agency pretty unique is that a lot of people who work for us have been foster parents, are adoptive parents, been adopted, um, been in foster care. So it's pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah. Because as well as that, uh, listeners, uh, money is an adoptee too. So um, you're covering all the bases. So when I contacted your colleague, um, oh, sorry, I forgot no. my name. Uh, and... Um, and she came back and she said, oh, yeah, uh, Marnie's the person that you need to speak to. She's uh, an adopted mom and an adoptee. And I just thought, and so you got this professional thing. I was just like, my heart kind of leapt because the, um, the, the different hats and the different perspectives that you bring to this from a lived experience and also the fact that you have, because you've, because you are supporting other, pe other people, you've got that other perspective. You've got the distance. The perspective is the, is, is the ability to see the wood for the trees, to see your, how your experience differs between each of your kids and how your experience differs for each of the families you support. It's just like, brilliant, brilliant. I, I, an ideal guest that made my heart sing. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I tell people I live, eat, and breathe foster care and adoption 24 hours a day. Yeah. Hopefully they, you do get some sleep. <laughs> do you dream? Do you dream it as well? Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> yes, I, I I dream I have meetings and and report to and kids to get to therapy or to school. So it's constant. Yeah, what if it is one big dream, right? Um, <laughs> okay, so thriving adoptees. What what comes to 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 your mind? What's your definition of thriving adoptees? I, I definitely would think having the knowledge of your own experiences as an adopted person and how it's kind of shaped who you become and who you are and how you interact with the world. So ideally, ideally that's a positive experience, but I know there's a lot of people out there that didn't have a good adoption experience or they haven't really thought out what they've been through in their life and how it's impacting, you know, their day-to-day living. So I definitely consider myself as someone who is a thriving adoptee. I'm a little crazy. I mean, I've got 10 children. And I think anyone would say there's something wrong with her. Uh, but I definitely had a really good adoption experience. My, my parents um, had two biological sons of their own. Um, they're my brothers. They're six and eight years older than me. And they really wanted a daughter, but they couldn't have any more children. So my mom at the time... Um, was working as a social worker for um, probation for teen, teen, teen girls. And she got connected with an attorney and did a lot of really good work for him. And she told him, I want a baby girl. Like if a baby girl comes up for adoption, like, please call me. And so that's kind of how I became part of their family. I, I always knew, like people always ask, like, how did you find out you're adopted? And I always knew I was, like, it wasn't a conversation I remember having. Um, but I remember being very, very little and thinking about it, thinking about biological family, thinking, thinking about where I came from, because I didn't have any information. It was a closed adoption. So, you know, I think people who are adopted make up stories to try to fill in the gaps of the unknown information that they, you know, the information they don't have. So, you know, in my case, I, I made up the story that um, William Shatner was my biological father. I, I believe that for a large majority of my childhood, um, I think my adopted mom uh, was a huge Star Trek fan and she was very into going to conventions and had a lot of memorabilia around the house and watched it all the time. So. I just made that connection that maybe I was like their love child or something and they didn't want to tell me because he was a movie star. <laughs> and so uh, I think that's really funny. I ended up meeting him when I was 12, which was really weird. Um, so I think, I, again, I, I think back to my childhood and have really fond memories of being adopted. I was proud. I was excited to tell people. Um, they would always come to me and say, you're not adopted. You look like your family. And I would say, no, go ask them. And they'd go to my parents and they would tell them I'm adopted. And I would just be so excited about that. But I, I, I don't know. I was very proud about it. So for me, my adoption experience was really positive. Yeah. So I, I'm guessing you're talking about William, William Shatner before he started wearing the girdles and stuff, right? The what keep, now? <laughs> the girdles to keep his belly in. Yeah, and before he went to space, you know, like all of those things, but yes, for sure. Either uh, that or I was a Vulcan, like. <laughs> Vulcan, yeah. And it's, it's not, what was the other show that he was in afterwards? TJ, was it TJ? TJ Hooker? TJ Hooker. TJ, TJ, yeah, TJ Booker, maybe. I can't oh. remember now. Okay. Yeah. 
yeah. But it was the Star Trek era that, that uh, in which William Shatner was your dad. Okay. Yes. Uh, cool. <laughs> um, the uh, I want to take you back a bit um, uh, to you said that uh, being a thriving adoptee, uh, it you need to know how it shapes you. So how 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 do you think it has shaped you? I mean, the biggest and most forefront thing that comes to my mind is the line of work that I've chosen. Yeah. Um, getting into foster care, I always knew that I wanted to have biological children. I think for me in particular, there was a huge drive to have someone close to me that shared DNA because I didn't have that growing up. So I really, you know, when I got married, it was a, a big priority to have biological children. And I would be really grateful I was able to do that. But then once I had my son and my daughter, you know, we were considering, do we have more kids? Do, what do we do? And, and I had always had adoption in my mind that I would like to do that. I, I really was driven to ideally give another child an adoption experience like, like I had. Like, they felt special and honored and chosen to be, to be part of our family. So that's definitely a huge driver from my own experience was moving into um, doing foster care and ideally adopting children. Yeah. Um, interesting that, um, so I, me and my wife haven't got any kids, right? We, we just have the furry ones. Um, and my wife, I don't think my wife will mind me saying she's, she's not kid friendly, right? Um, so, uh, but I do. So that, that was a d decision that I I knew that before. Obviously, I knew that before um, before I got um, before I asked her to marry me. Actually, so mm -hmm. I made I made that choice. I knew that that was was not going to happen for us. Um, but I do recall at one stage ch chatting to a, a, a friend of mine quite a long time ago. I think and and being with the you know I'd like some DNA stuff. I'd, I'd like, I'd like, I'd like, I, I said blood relations actually, because I, I don't think I knew the word DNA of early 20s. So, yeah, I said it'd be nice to share blood, know somebody that I share blood with. Um, but that, that was a kind of uh, a one off thought. I remember thinking it, but I don't remember thinking it again. And right. I don't remember thinking, remembering that thought much. But like yourself, you know, I was told before I, before I was, um, uh, but, well, I was told to, and I don't remember knowing, like, like you don't. So that's an interesting one there. Um, what uh, the other thing that kind of came to my mind? You, you know, you talked about different people having different experience. You, you hit there's there's all these strange uh, memes out there in social media land, and, and so you know, people come up with a, a new terminology and they say, I don't, I don't even know it was a thing, you know. So the one that I've heard um, recently, I've, one I've heard recently is kind of is survivor's guilt. And, and I'm wondering if there is such a thing as thriving adoptees guilt, you know, <laughs> because if we, if we say that we've had a good experience, um, people that haven't had a good experience tend to get quite agitated. They do on social media anyway. Interesting. Have you, have you seen that? 
I, I haven't experienced that. I mean, I work with a lot of people that come into foster care um, and everyone that's that's drawn to helping children through through this experience has some sort of history with adoption, foster care, you know, childhood trauma, whatever it is that have led them to want to help children in this way. So I've I've had a lot of people that had had fostering bad fostering experiences. They were in foster care when they were children and they had a bad experience. Um, you know, I I haven't experienced that so much as is people wanting to tell their story. Yeah. And I love hearing their stories, even if it's a sad story, even if it's um, you know, not the best experience, I still think people can use those to help kids. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe experiencing the same thing that they did, um, or you know, helping them have a different experience. Yeah. I think probably probably it's one of those differences between the online world and the real world. Whereas in the real world, people, you know, we kind of like we we um, birds of a feather, birds of a feather flock together. We, you know, we're we're in we're a little bit more positive in the real world than we are in sometimes in social media in social media world, and also we don't tend to associate with people whose opinions differ of us so vary different. Sorry, whose opinions, whose opinions and experiences differ from ours so so markedly. Um, I don't know. Um, how how do you think being uh, uh, being an adoptee has shaped the way that you raise your kids? I think. I mean, it's it's challenging. It, it parenting itself is challenging it's incredibly challenging it's the hardest job I think anyone could be asked to do um, or want to do voluntarily and not get paid for it uh, I definitely think that having my adoption experience for at least for my adopted children has really helped me understand like what it's like to be separated from your people and not know your history I, when when I was growing up it was a closed adoption. I didn't have information. I had a little bit of information, but the information I had was actually wrong. Um, and I knew that when, when and if I adopted children, they were going to know their story. They were going to know everything about their situation that led them into foster care, everything about their biological family that I knew. And I wanted them to know their people. I didn't want them to grow up not knowing they had siblings or not knowing um, you know, why their mother wasn't able to care for them. I wanted them to maintain any connection that they had with the people that they loved before they came to my home. Um, you know, I truly believe you build upon connections. So my, the best way for me to build relationships and connections with my children is through their past connections. And that's with, you know, my four, my sibling group of four that I adopted, um, they were very connected to their, their family members, you know, not necessarily their mom and their dad, but their, um, their grandma and their tias and their tios, which is aunt and uncle. And, uh, it was important for me that they don't lose those people. Uh, they've already lost so much, you know, there's no reason that they would have to lose those people. Obviously we always have to look at safety and, and make sure that it's appropriate for them, whatever that contact looks like. And, um, for some of my kids, 
it's been, we follow them on Facebook and we share pictures and my kids can see pictures of them. And other times they're coming over for dinner. So it depends, it, it varies wildly. And sometimes even from year to year, how parents are doing. Um, but that was something that was, that made me sad as an adoptee was not knowing, making up stories like, you know, that William Shatner was my dad or being very small. I remember a very, very like common memory for me as a child, like being so small, I could sit in a shopping cart like in the front and looking at women in the store thinking, could that be my mom? Could that be my biological mother? Um, and it, it was very, it, it just was strange to not have that information. So I really wanted my children to know. I will say it's probably the most challenging thing as an adopted mother um, to share my kids. To, to uh, you know, allow, allow this, the, this family to, to become part of our family and to share my kiddos because I don't do that because I, you know, it's, it serves me at all because it's hard. I do it because it, it, it serves my children. Yeah. Yeah. So you've mentioned the four, the, the sibling group of four. So presumably they were adopted out of foster care. Yeah. yeah. And the other two adopted kids, were they infant adoptions or were they out of uh, foster care as well? They were, they were also out of foster care. I got them both as babies. Um, and so I adopted them. One was, I think, 13 months and one was 18 months when the adoption was finalized. Right. Okay. So this, this, epi this podcast, as in the, the episode, that, uh, the interview we're having now and the whole thing, right, is about sharing the most important things that the guest has, have learned that helps either their adoptive kids or themselves thrive as an adoptee um, with, with the listeners, right? So we're trying to help everybody along their own learning curves with what we've learned on our learning curve, right? So what, what would you like to share with the listeners given that, given that big space, big expanse? Wow. Um, I, you know, first and foremost, if, if you are an adoptee, or even if you're not an adoptee, consider, you know, foster care and adoption. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I do every day. And there are so many children out there that are either needing a safe, loving home to stay until their parents are able to take them back, or they're looking for a permanent home to finish growing up in. I, that would be my biggest message, my biggest um, hope for, for this podcast is just to plant some seeds for people to help kids that are, are in these experiences. Yeah. Um, you know, my second, I guess, biggest message would be, I guess, if you're an adoptive parent, if, if you're drawn to this because you have adopted children and you're, you're looking for information and knowledge on how to best raise your own adopted children, maintain those connections like don't cut family out because it's hard on you because it's exponentially hard on our kiddos to to be separated from their people and again it's not it's not easy 
and it's not always fun and it's hard to share. But, you know, we learned that in kindergarten, to share with others. And, you know, I, I always tell my kids, you, you can never have too many people loving your children, right? Like you can never have too many people that are invested in their well-being. So really consider that, um, you know, and if it was a closed adoption, you know, it's so easy to find people these days. It's, you know, with DNA testing and all of these things, I think it's so easy um, to, to locate family members. And even if it's just through pictures or cards or, you know, letters sharing back and forth, it, I clung to every little bit of information about my childhood and, and from my biological family. And so, you know, the more you can put together for these kids, the less they're going to wonder about who they are. Like, it's hard to form yourself as a human being when there's that chunk of information that's missing. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing that keeps on coming up, actually. Not knowing. You know, not, not knowing. Um, and... It's a really strange one because it didn't bother me. Right. Did, well, it's not like it didn't bother me. It like, didn't even cross my mind. I, and I, I, and I, I've heard this. It's a mass generalization, right? But um, women tend to think of, you know, uh, tend to question more than, than men, apparently. Or, or you know, girls question more than boys. As a mass, as a mass generalisation, and uh, I hope I don't, that doesn't get me in trouble with anybody. It, it's just a mass generalisation. Um, one of the uh, one of the biggest things that I've heard in, it, it, or the, one of the most significant learnings I've had from from doing this podcast was from a a, a lady like yourself who is. An adopted mum, and also professionally, uh, Holly Ann Petrie. Um, she was on the podcast last last year, and she came up with a title for her podcast, which was "Unpacking Our Own Baggage mm. Adopted Parents." So this was all about the relationship starts with us. So we need to be in in a world that's kind of obsessed with the uh, parenting techniques or um, or techniques for raising adoptive kids or trauma-informed care you know it, it, it everything it, it's it's all about the kids she was saying no it it starts with us as adoptive parents so what what do you make of that you know, it's it's funny to to say unpack your bags as a, an adopted child. I have suitcases that I can't open. I don't know what's inside of them. Like I don't. There's history and knowledge, and and it's hard to unpack a bag that you don't have the key for. So I think a lot of and, and again that drives me to make sure that I get a locksmith out. I know we're speaking metaphors. Yeah. Locksmith, open up my kids' suitcases so that we can unpack this stuff and. And, uh, you know, when you adopt a child who's nine years old, you know, they've got, you know, seven or eight, nine years 
of history that you have no idea what they've experienced. You have no idea. And, you know, trying to build a relationship with them so that you can have those conversations that you can unpack it, um, I think is, is critical, challenging, very, but very critical. Um, I, you know, I met my biological family when, well, my biological mother when I was 19. And I always wanted to know, I, I needed to see a picture. That's really what it was about for me. I needed to look and see why I looked the way that I did. Um, it, whatever reason, that was really important to me. Not the relationship piece, but the biological piece. And so it's, it's a really interesting story. My, my, I told my, my adoptive mom, my mom, that I wanted to you know, find her. And so she, she went to help me. We, we went several places. We went to the attorney who did the adoption, but unfortunately he had just passed away a couple of years ago. So any knowledge he had was gone. We went to um, the hospital that I was born at because there was um, a situation where my mom had taken me there when I was like two. And one of the nurses said, you need to get her out of here. Um, almost like she recognized me. And so my mom freaked out and left. And so she went to the hospital, but there was a dead end there. Um, and we ended up connecting with an intermediary person that could look up information and it was going to be like $600. And I, I was like, you know what? I don't need to know that much. That's a lot of money. I don't need to know that much. And so my mom ended up putting an ad, like a little classified ad in the Phoenix newspaper. And it, all it said was baby girl born on this day, happy, and healthy, searching for birth mother. And we got two phone calls. One was not her. And the other one was my birth mother. And she, what she said was um, her husband was an over the road truck driver and she had cut out an ad of a, of a bad storm that had happened up North and set it on the bed. And when she closed the door, the newspaper flipped over and the ad was there. Wow. And it just like gives me chill bumps. Like it was almost like meant to, meant to happen the way it did. The fact that she was still in Arizona, the fact that, you know, all of that came to, to light. It was just very odd and creepy <laughs> that she was able to see it. So at 19, I was able to go meet her. It was a very awkward meeting. Um, she showed me lots of pictures. I brought pictures of me. Um, and then we didn't really speak or have much contact for probably a decade. Um, you know, and then it, it, you know, when I got married and I started having my, my children, I, I reconnected because I thought you should know that she has biological grandchildren out there. So, I mean, I was lucky enough to be able to make those connections. Um, it's interesting that as much as a, a good adoption experience that I had, I had a, uh, an experience that was kind of not that, which was shocking to me. So my biological father, um, my mother told me who he was and um, I had tried to reach out to him a couple of times over the years and, and I'd gotten kind of radio silence. And somehow we ended up friends on Facebook. And so, you know, I saw him doing some posts occasionally and, and every couple of years I would reach out and say, hey, I just, you know, I'd love for you to meet, you know, your grandkids and just meet you. I don't want anything, just, just wanted to meet you. And I, it was always no, no reply back. And then I saw a post on Facebook from him that said, I'm dying of brain cancer. I've only got six months to live or whatever. And I reached out to him again and he denied 
I mean, he did, he never replied to me and then he died. Um, and I was really mad. I was really, really angry about that. And I don't, I, I still don't really understand why after everything, after, you know, I, I, me being very open and saying, I don't, I'm not mad. I don't want anything. I just, I just would, you know, it'd be nice to have met you. And to be denied that I was really angry for a really long time. Yeah. Yuck. Going off track. I'm so sorry. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, this is the stuff really. Uh, yeah. Uh, so it's well, interesting I'm... how it pops up, like how it impacts our lives and how, you know, I, you, Think you're doing great and then something like that happens and you're just thrown off you're like, like totally yeah i i was think you know i i talk about this uh, a little bit the fact that i've had two and it sounds nuts i've had two 10 second bursts in 55 years of extreme pain emotional pain about adoption and so it's been acute i think this is the medical term right it's it's acute rather than chronic i've had chronic stress about business for 30 years right I, it's there you know it, it, it's not what it was and it, it, it some stuff i've been picking up over the last few years has lessened it it started that's that chronic stress started easing maybe 10 10 12 years ago 15 years ago perhaps. but it was still a thing but the adoption stuff but because i can i can see the two stressors in my life i can compare one against another right? and and i can also see that the acute pressure the acute pain around adoption i can see it because it's so precise and so short lived. And therefore I can tell that it's not the truth. Mm -hmm. Right. Whereas if I'd been, you know, some of these people that uh, some of these adoptees that haven't, uh, whose, whose whole experience has been terrible all the way through or for a long way through, they cannot, they, they don't have that perspective. They don't have it, it's there. It's it, it's like a, it's like um a, you know like a, a chronic pain, a chronic pain. It never goes, kind of never goes away, or I don't know. It must be, but it, it, it must be it must be really, that must be really hard. Um, I'm lucky that I don't fit into that, and like, but I am it, as it, well. Yeah, yeah. That's why I mentioned it. It's like it's not. It's not the truth. So we're not like we're not in, you know. People say, uh, "Oh, you're in denial," or you know, "You're in the fog." You know, this is the favourite one. You know, you're in the fog. Well, no, no. Then no. ignorance is bliss, isn't that what they say? <laughs> well, that's but that's what they say. But that's what they say. And so, so, and therefore, it, it, fog equals ignorance equals bliss. You must be in the fox army. No. <laughs> I, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I'm not. You know, there's these two, there's these two um, 
extreme narratives around around a, a adoption. You know, there's the rainbow and unicorns, and there's the um, primal wound stroke trauma, forever traumatized. Uh, and neither of those, in my opinion, are true. But that's that's the narrative, and that's and, and we fall for the narrative. As, as human beings, we, we listen to people in authority. You know, if you think of the word author and authority, it, it's the same word, right? It's the same stand. And I fell for that primal wound stuff. I, I, I pinned the tail on the wrong donkey. I, I, I lay everything at the feet of, of, of adoption for a while. And, and then I found out that was, I was, I was wrong. You know, the, the voice in my head was a liar. Right, right. I was just talking to my 13 year old adopted daughter. We were driving back from, uh, from an appointment and I was actually telling her about your diamond analogy. And she, she, really, liked, she really liked it as much as I liked it as well. Uh, but it's so hard to know like what, what's going on in their own minds. I mean, just being an adolescent is pretty horrible. <laughs> And being an adolescent who was an older adopted child who who feels that loss of her family daily and the loss of of what her life was before and and I think you quickly forget all the bad stuff um you know well I, I mean, and again maybe this is not everyone's experience but um I think she has forgotten all of the bad stuff all of her all of her really bad horrible experiences and has kind of let them all go and she only remembers the good things. And, you know, it's not my job to remind her of bad things, um, but she longs for her family. She longs, she pines for them. And she wrote a story um, and she was telling me about it yesterday and it's something that she did in school. And it was a picture of a girl and she said, it's the girl who looked happy on the outside, but who sat on the inside. And it broke me in half, like I, because I know it's not about an arbitrary girl who's happy on the outside and sad on the inside. It's about her. And, you know, how, how do we help these children? You know, you were talking about how generations change and, you know, we learn things and we change as a society. We, you know, the more you know, the, the better you learn, the more better you can be. Um, you know, I think back to, foster care 50 years ago. And the ideal scenario was they moved kids every six months. They would put them in a foster home and they would move them every six months because the thought at the time was it's too hard when they attach to somebody. So let's move them so they don't get attached. <laughs> right. Which to now it's insane. Like, no, that's how, that's how you create sociopaths. <laughs> Attachments are critical for human beings, even if there's a loss attached to it, like they have to make those attachments. So, you know, as we've learned better in social work, we do better for our kids. And I'm sure in 20 years, the things that we're talking about now to do with adopted children, they're going to go, that's crazy. That was terrible. Why did we do that? Um, but we only can do what we, you know, continue to learn, like you were saying, and, and grow and do the best with the best information we have right now. Okay. Wow, that's um, sorry. Uh, you know, that's brilliant. I'm ADHD, that. so I tend to go off on tangents. 
Maybe I've got a bit of that in me too. Because um, <laughs> we're adopted. Because we're adopted, right? That's why, no, I'm just, I'm kidding. <laughs> so what's the most important thing that you, you want for your kids? I, my, my mantra as a parent is to raise well-adjusted, happy, functional adults. Like that's, okay. and that's what I tell them all the time. I'm like, I, you know, I'm not, my job is not to be your friends. Unfortunately, I wish I could be. Maybe when we were older, we can be buds. But right now my job is to help you be well-adjusted, healthy, functional adults. Okay. So getting them there, I mean, is individualized. And I have 10, like every child is different. And every kid needs something totally different. And I have to adjust my parenting for each one of them. Interesting. And, and their needs, like, you know, what one kiddo needs. I have two sisters that are, you know, they're 13 months apart and they are polar opposites. Um, one is got her heart on her sleeve. She's a people pleaser. She loves everyone. She's emotional. <laughs> she cries, but then she loves you two seconds later. And the other one is totally different. She's very stoic. She's either happy or there's nothing. Um, and so helping her process her, her life and who she's going to become is very different um, just between those two girls. So, okay. Uh, a lot. So you want your kids to be well adjusted, happy and healthy. Okay. So yeah. what, what, what's the most important thing that you think you need to do to do that. I, gosh, well, there's no. a whole laundry list. How can I pin it to one thing? I, I mean, right at this moment, just with the things that are happening with my kids right right now, um, you know, we we adopted our sibling group before, and they have a brother that has has always lived with his father, but recently he got removed and placed in foster care, and so we took him in, and he's right in the middle. So that is stirring up all kinds of things, all kinds of thoughts, all kinds of memories, all kinds of feelings, even sadness for him to have to go through that with my girls in particular. Um, so right now it's it's really fresh for me and, and really poignant in being that emotional safety net for them. And and God, it's it's so hard. It's so hard to know do we talk about it? Do we not talk about it? Is this something I should get a therapist involved in? Like, um, do I bring it up or do I not? <laughs> like, and, and so I'm trying to, in the best way, just be that emotional safety net. If they need to break down and be sad about it, I'm there. If they're angry about it, I'm there. Um, and one of the things that I think is one of my skills as a parent is being able to see, you know, when my kids have, when they misbehave, when they have behaviors, we call it, you know, like it, it's not because they're being ornery or they're, they're just wanting to misbehave. There's a feeling behind it. Right. We all do this. We all do this. Like when I'm frustrated or stressed, everyone in my house knows it because I'm, you know, slamming doors and closing the cabinets a little too hard and huffing and puffing. And it's obvious, it's obvious that I'm stressed and I'm a, a fairly functional adult. If I can't do it well, I can't tell someone, hey, I'm stressed, I need some help. If I can't do that well, I can't ask a three or four-year-old or a nine-year-old to do it well. So, you know, being able to see their behavior is a symptom of how they're feeling. And if you can fix how they're feeling, 
the behavior part goes away. Um, and I, it took me a while to learn this with my 13 year old because she, when she would get confronted with something or stressed or angry, she would roll her eyes and she would back talk and she would stomp down the hallway and slam her door. And for me as a parent, I'm, that was very triggering to me. I was like, oh no, you're not going to do that. But then I stopped and I thought about it. And, and if I could go back to why she did it in the first place, and if I could address that, then all of that started to go away. So, you know, just being there and looking past all the stuff that children do that are, that are unpleasant, you know, uh, this, you know, not following the rules or being unkind or whatever it is that you're dealing with as a parent, it's, you're always going back to some sort of feeling that they're having that they can't manage. I mean, all, all their behaviors, all those big things that we see, the tantrums and things, that is them waving their white flag at us saying, please help me. I don't, I don't feel, I don't want to feel like this anymore. And I need your help to make me, to help me get back to peace. And so it's hard sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, I don't do it well. Um, but I feel like if you can do that as a whole, like the behaviors go away, you don't even really have to address them. Kids know, they know like hitting another kid is wrong. You don't have to tell them it's wrong. They know why did they do it? How did, why, what feeling did they have that they couldn't manage that made them explode in that way? So, you know, tying that up, just like being that emotional safety net, being regulated and my heart rate and myself at peace so that I can bring them back to peace and, you know, lower their blood pressure and, and have them calm down and be able to talk is my moment to moment priority with my children every day. Okay. So what's, what's the nature of the diamond? For my children or for uh, me or what's the uh, both? I mean, from talking to you about that, I, and I guess this is something that I've always really felt like we're all beautiful human beings. And if we can, if we can power wash away all the negative thoughts, and that's so hard. I mean, it's so hard for a teen girl to get those negative thoughts or a 47 year old woman <laughs> to do that, um, to, to cognitively be able to, to wash it all away and uh, well, see. Yeah. I didn't say that though, did I? Well, that's my thought. Okay, what's the nature of the diamond? Hmm, maybe I don't understand your question. Well, di like I I'm I'm okay with this. I'm okay, I'm okay with this line of questioning. Mm -hmm. Yeah? I am. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Okay, so the nature of the diamond is clean. Mm -hmm. The nature of the diamond is clean. There's no, no power washing is required. Right, right. I was thinking of all the layers yeah. that you were talking about, the, the thoughts that surround yes. the diamond, yes. the experiences, the history, yes. the, the emotions, yes. um, the trauma, yeah, that's, whatever. That's, 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 that's the mucky stuff. Right. That's, that, that's what we do as human beings, right? We're, we're drawn into the drama, whether it's Star Trek, Right, <laughs> or whether it's our own lives, right? Okay, whether it's our our own lives, um, 
uh, yeah, the 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 the. So we talk. What we're talking about, ladies and gentlemen, is the the diamond is the essence of who we are, and the diamond as is obscured or veiled or covered in muck, right? And 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 muck. I'm using. It's a family show, so I'm using the word muck. Mm-hmm. I, I mean something else, right? <laughs> um, the muck, muck, mucky thought, like I'm not good enough, is, is a constant one for us adoptees, right? Um, um, mucky feelings like insecurity and, and anger, right? So they they obscure the diamond, but the nature of the diamond is pure brilliance. It 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 doesn't it, it doesn't have any of those thoughts or those feelings. So yeah, the the conventional approach would be to power wash the diamond. Um, uh, but then we're then we're trying to get rid of every ne- ne- we're, we're trying to get rid of every negative thought and every negative feeling. And I've tried that and it doesn't work. I'm I'm what I'm uh, what I'm advocating here is for all of us it, and and you know this is it is to spend our time focused on the the focused on the diamond not the thoughts or the feelings because the nature of the diamond is brilliance it's sparkly it glitters it's perfect it 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 can't be it can't actually be scratched diamonds are the hardest hardest substance known to man or woman right so um you can't you, like people talk about the primal wound for adoptees right you can't actually wound a diamond i'm, I'm mm-hmm. mixing two metaphors here but it, it, it for me it's it's really insert really because we think that the the uh, we we mistake emotional distress and trauma for damage to the diamond, damage to the soul, damage to the spirit. Um, and our, our, so for me, my focus is more and more on the diamond of who we all are, not the muck that obscures it. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. And, and I, I think it's brilliant um and again i get so much so that i was even starting to talk to other people about it i you know i think reminding everybody reminding all of my kids and all the kids in foster care that 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 is truly who they are and everything else is workable everything else is changeable everything else is you know everything just change yeah that's the whole yeah. thing right that's the whole thing everything else changes apart from yeah. who we are right. like the science changes yeah yeah the science changes like mm-hmm. the world used to be the scientists used to think that the world was flat the people in authority used to think that it was a good idea to move foster kids every six months right Th- theory changes science so-called science psychology changes but the essence of you know the perfection of who we truly are, this this diamond stuff that that's been around um, for like two or three thousand years, that hasn't changed. 
The science, the scientists have taken over. The psychologists have taken over. Um, and, um, and 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 why why are we why are we focused? We're all you know. It's, it's mindset. It's all focused on the mind. Well, the mind isn't the diamond. The mind is just a collection of thoughts, feelings, stuff like that. Um, so, I think for for for, for me, like we all we all you know every every single one of us just wants to be happy, don't we? Like you want your kids to be happy. We all want to be happy. So we've got to kind of understand um, where happiness comes from and and see it as the essence of who we really are in my time yeah i i i like to think of it as finding peace you know finding regulation where your heart rate is normal and your blood pressure is normal and you your body is comfortable and acknowledging those moments of joy um and, and it's so interesting, like even as an adult, I like I'll get excited and I'll, or I'll be proud of something or I'll be feeling some joy and I will want to shove it down. Like, nope, because the other shoe is going to drop <laughs> and something bad is going to happen. So you can't get too happy, right? You can't get too full of joy. Over yeah, that. that's the scary bit. Yeah. Right. But I, I'm working really be, hard. You can't be this good, right? Right. I, I, I work really hard to sit in the joy as much as I sit in hard parts um, yeah. and really, and my main focus isn't necessarily to be happy, but it's to be at peace okay, and to be comfortable. Good point. Okay. When, when I mean happy, I don't mean grinning, grinning. Right. I, mean, I mean, I mean, content, <laughs> content and, yeah. and, and peaceful. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 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 You, you, thank you for mentioning that because um I was uh, I was definitely misleading the listeners there. Um, no, no, it's 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 just nuances of the thoughts of it. It is nuances, but it's really I think it's really important. I've had because I had a couple of really beezer days, actually, really great days, right? Like above above content, above peace, mm-hmm. a bit, you know. Yeah. And and uh, this, and then when was it? I think it was Tuesday, Tuesday morning. I crashed. And I was like, oh no. And I and I felt myself going down. And then I thought, uh-oh, there we go again, you know. Um my my mentor Liz says, if we're okay with not feeling okay, we're always okay. Mm. That because that resistance for me, that's been the biggest thing. So I heard something this morning. I was listening to a podcast, uh, and uh, the, the the woman was saying um, how how our ego attacks us. So we go on lots of courses. We you know we read books about mindfulness or happiness or going courses, whatever we do, yeah, and then then we crash mm-hmm. we're, we're high you know we're we're, we're spiritually high not <laughs> a drug induced yeah. <laughs> but then <laughs> but then we crash well, then we crash 
and, and then the ego comes in and says, Simon, you shouldn't be like this. You, you know, you've you've spent all this time, you've spent all this money, um, and um, you 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 should be you should be doing better. You, you, you should be your your mood should be better. And then 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 I'll I'll start. I can I'll follow that train of thought for a while. You know, <laughs> and it, it's like the uh, you were talking about Disney. You know, you were talking about working in SeaWorld, weren't it? This is more like uh, the 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 um, the runaway train. What do they call it? Thunder Thunder Valley. Thunder Valley Railroad oh. on, on Disney <laughs> like at Disneyland, yeah, Disneyland yeah. Thunder Mountain. Yeah, we get on a train, a train of thought, and it's a and mm -hmm. it, it's a it's a train wreck because it's just taking us, it's just taking us down until we catch it, and right. we, we so resisting. I would say you know re resisting unhappiness has uh, resisting unhappiness causes me more unhappiness it takes me further it takes me further down well i mean and, and the ego could be a whole podcast in and of itself yeah. um you know i foster care is really good for me in the sense of it makes me live in the moment because we don't know how long we'll have children right sometimes they're there for three days sometimes they're there forever but we don't know so it's very it's it's very focused on today and being present and I'm terrible at being present. I'm constantly living old arguments or old things that happened in my past or what happened yesterday and I made a fool of myself or living in the future, worrying, um, nervous, anxious, or fearful or excited, whatever excitement. Um, it, I'm very seldomly, and I think this is true for most people, we're, we're seldomly in the present moment. And that's the one thing that's helped me recently was like I had a I had a terrible meeting yesterday. My technology didn't work. It was an important meeting. I, I am the chair of this group and my anxiety. I mean, the pressure on my chest was overwhelming. And I got in my car and I was prepared to ball my eyes out. And I just stopped for a minute and I checked in with my body. Um, you know, just I'm not good at meditating. I, I'm too hyperactive for meditation but I just checked in. What do I see? What do I smell? How do I feel? What does my head feel like? My chest, everything. And I was able to regulate and I didn't have the meltdown that I thought I was going to just because I, I, and I say this to myself, it's kind of weird, but in my head, I'm like, you're safe. Your people are safe. Everyone is healthy. You're okay. Um, it'll be all right. And I'm now thinking about it. My chest is starting to hurt yeah. <laughs> from yesterday, but like, I'm okay. Like everyone is okay. Um, and I tell this to my kids a lot too, when they're, when they're worked up over something that you are safe, you are loved, you are okay. Um, but it's hard, it's hard not to go, not to jump on the train. It's, Indeed, it's yeah. nearly impossible to not jump on the train. I, I, I get on, I get on it all the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's that, that's emotional safety net. That knowledge of the it's the ultimate, you know, the ultimate safety net mm. is the knowledge. And you have to be that for yourself. Like Sorry? I have to be that for myself because, like, if I'm not that for myself, I cannot be that for my children. Um, and, yeah, and if if you don't know the emotional safety net is well. If you don't know the emotional safety net is there, you can't tell your kids about it right. at one point. 
the clearer that you can see that safety net for yourself, see it like not just see it's there, but know it's there and know it's going to support you, right? So you could we could be doing the high wire, right? And yeah. I'm like, I don't know. Um, you 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 do weights in you do weight in 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 uh, pounds, don't you? In the US, I, I'm, yeah. I'm I don't know what I'm is. I'm eleven stone, whatever that is. But you know, I could look at I could look at a a safety net and not know whether it was going to catch me or not because I might be too heavy. I might go through it, right? So this is it's not just seeing the it's not just seeing the safety net, but it's knowing that it's going to work and 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 uh, we're going to be okay. That's as not as a kind of um, what shall I say? Not not theoretical. Mm-hmm. Not, not not a theory in our heads, a theory in my head, or or even a feeling in my heart, or maybe a belief in my heart, but something kind of more like deep in my bones, like uh, what do people call an embodied, yeah, an embodied learning. That that's where the that's where the power is for me, rather than yeah. Does does that make any? It does. I, 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 you know, as you were talking, I'm thinking about my own safety net, and and there are days, most days, that I'm like, there's no net. <laughs> like I'm, I am doing trapeze work that I didn't stretch for. Yeah, I didn't practice, and you know, sometimes I feel like I'm free falling through my experiences and yeah. raising my kids, and like again, then and when I do that, I have to say, okay, stop you're okay. Your children are okay. Your family's okay. Everyone's fine. <laughs> you're okay. Um, to, to do that for myself. So I can continue to do it. Yeah. For my kid. So it's seeing it's there. It's seeing it's there for the first time, which is usually, I think when we bounce off it, mm-hmm. that's, we don't, we think it, it may, we don't know. It may be a mirage. It may not take our way. Right. Right. But once we've fallen, once we've fallen and we've bounced, and we have we have a alert, you know, we have a, a lived experience of the safety net catching us. Right. So then we see it for the first time. Um, then we forget it's there and we get mm-hmm. worried about falling. Uh, because as we're doing the as we're doing the um the uh, the uh, the um high wire act, you know that w- w- the w- the 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 guy or the girl with the stick across them, yeah, they're they're never actually um stationary if they're stationary they fall off they're, they're always adjusting it's all it's like micro adjustments right. all the time they're never actually st- you know that yeah they, they're, they're, they're wobbling so they could go at any time but they're just adjusting and then uh so we wobble and then it's knowing it's remembering that the safety net is there and then it's forgetting it's there right and then it's crashing again, and and and, and, and we we it's Chumbawamba, isn't it? Chumbawamba um, is a band. So we get we get knocked down, but we get up again. Never gonna, yeah. I'm conscious of time. Look at the time, Marnie. Um, uh, I've, I've I've been I've been rambling a bit, haven't I, for the last ten minutes? Uh, what would you like to close with? Um. Do you have thoughts on that? No, I'm asking you. 
I feel that I've uh, I've monopolized the the conversation for the last ten minutes. No, no, it's it's amazing. It's amazing to to kind of put that into perspective and to re- be reminded um, of what I do every day with with my kids and with my families. Um, I again, I I do feel that I am a thriving adoptee. Um, I I don't pretend that I don't have um, struggles that I, I think could be pulled back to that. Um, but again, like I, I, I try to work every day to help families and children going through this experience um, to get to the other side of it, to, to find themselves thriving as an adult and grow as a society in the sense of like, what's right for these kids afraid for them yeah what's what's the best path for us to take with them the journey and the supports and the and all of the diamonds and the safety nets and um so that we can get them there so we can get them there and they can be they can be happy and stable and functional yeah so thriving doesn't mean not having any poop in our lives Right. How boring would that be? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like um, it's like when <laughs> we went to. Uh, I love Italian food, and went to Sicily twenty-two years ago. And after two weeks, I just wanted curry. Mm. <laughs> I'd had enough. I'd had enough pizza, and I didn't think I could have enough pizza. You know what right. I mean? Somebody said you can have two weeks of pizza, Simon. I would two weeks of pizza and pasta and you know chicken in tarragon and, and all this great stuff. I would say, oh yeah, give me that, but no, I wanted curry. So yeah, we have to have variety is the variety is the spice of life. So uh, as always, ladies and gentlemen, listeners. I'm sorry, I should say other stuff as well, shouldn't I? We're not all self-identifying. Listeners, sorry. Uh, listeners, uh, there's always show notes for you to check out um, what the guests are doing. So you can check out uh, the Grace Retreat and you can connect with Marnie and stuff on, on social in the in the links in the show notes. So check out. And Marnie, thank you. It's been a, a pleasure. And uh, amazing. And uh, look forward to speaking to you soon. And we'll speak to you too soon, listeners. Goodbye. Thanks a lot. <laughs>